HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market. Like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Many people in our food community have been seriously impacted by Superstorm Sandy, and our hearts go out to them. At HRN, we've been covering these stories since the storm hit. To learn more, visit our website at www.heritageradionetwork.org. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. I'm the beverage director of Del Anima Lartuzzi and Four in our new restaurant, La Picho. And I'm excited to share with you some of my favorite friends and people I admire the most in the beverage industry, um, the people who share the passion of others and uh, the people who also are, are creating some of uh, some of the most delicious things for us to drink. Today I'm uh, extraordinarily excited to have on, on the show someone I admire very, very much, um, not just for the beverage selections he chooses, um, the, the kind of his presence on the floor, the way he kicks my ass at blind wine tasting, <laughs> um, but also just the, the team that he builds over at uh, Barbaloo, Baloo Sud. And uh, the Blue Epicerie. Yeah, that's it. Uh, he's the <laughs> head sommelier, uh, Michael Madrigal. Thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, for coming out to our, our little uh, shipping container. I love it. In, uh, in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in the back I of Roberta's. <laughs> um, Very cool. So, Michael, you just got, you just got married. Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. September 21st. And uh, I and I hear Roberta's catered the uh, catered the wedding. Congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah, thank you. We, um, my wife and I, we had come over here uh, for dinner one night, and we had heard so much about this place, and uh, everyone has been talking about it for so long. So we uh, decided to get on the L train because we live in Manhattan, on uh, in the East Village. So we just took a couple stops down on the L train, came here, and we're literally blown away. We loved everything about it. From uh, the pizzas, from the hot dishes, everything, the vibe, the music, the service, 
And uh, when we were, my wife and I were trying to decide who we wanted to do the catering, uh, Roberta is just, it was the first thing we thought of. And we didn't even know if they did catering. So we ended up reaching out and sure enough, they did. And they came and did the wedding, which we had in the West Village, and they knocked it out of the park. We had a whole pork shoulder and lots of really great past uh, hors d'oeuvres, oysters. And, you know, it was cool because when you think of weddings, you think of it a, a bit like sometimes a stiff style. And Roberta's was the opposite of that. And, you know, the people taking care of us had tattoos all over their body and, you know, cat's eye glasses. And it, it really created a nice kind of energy in the room for the event. So we, uh, we loved every second of it. That, that sounds like a blast. I can, I can only imagine uh, you bringing your, your aesthetic to, uh, to a wedding. Um, what, what, uh, what did you drink? That's what I'm really excited to find out. <laughs> well, you know, I, um, I wanted to be smart with the choices. And uh, so what I did was, in preparation for the big day, I reached out to a, uh, a few winemakers to see if they could, if they could do something special for me. And uh, one of them I reached out to was uh, the Domaine de Visu in Beaujolais. And uh, I had said, hey, I'm getting married. Uh, I would love to have large format bottles of Fleury and, and Bruy and Moulin Avant. And uh, would, you, would that be possible for you to do it? And they, were, they loved the idea. And they said, absolutely, Michael, we'd love to do it for you. And they made like a nice label for us. And, you know, and, and they really made it nice. And I was thinking about it because I overbought I bought too many of them, which is actually great because in, you know, on like my 10th year anniversary, we'll open one up and on the 20th year anniversary, we'll open one up as well and say, you know what, this was the wine that we had at our wedding. And because it's in a Jeroboam, you know, you know, it's going to age much better than it would be if it was in a 750. Wow. Talk to us about, uh, about your interest in, in Beaujolais. I find that, you know, every sommelier who loves, uh, Burgundy, but we can't necessarily drink good Burgundy on any given night. My, that's is it. interested in, in picking up a good bottle of Beaujolais. No, it's, that's exactly the reason you love Beaujolais. One loves Beaujolais is, it, is because it, uh, all those sensory buttons that, uh, that Burgundy hits when you drink it, um, Beaujolais kind of does as well, except it's much less expensive. You know, when you want a, a red wine that's fresh and aromatic and delicious and easy to drink, you know, you, you want to you wanna drink Burgundy, but it's priced out of our price range at this point. Sad to say. So then, you know, you go for the next best thing. It's almost like methadone. It's like the wine methadone. It's, it's kind of, you know, it, 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 it does that thing that the real opiates do, but in a less kind of expensive way. <laughs> I love that. I love well, that. we are in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, Methadone well, should definitely come up if we're if we're in this neighborhood. You know, I, you know one of the thing, one of the ways that I, I think that one of the reasons I relate to you is, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid from Queens, New York, and uh, you know, serving very expensive wine yeah. to, to rich people <laughs> sometimes. Um, and and you know, you're you're also from you're from Philly, and, yeah. and you're you're at you know Baloo Restaurant and Lincoln Center opening up super nice wine, but do it in a way that is, uh, that, that lacks any kind of pretension and you actually genuinely just share this, this excitement. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible actually. My, uh, you know, from where I came from, I came from, uh, like a family business with, uh, my, my grandfather and his brothers owned butcher shops all over Philadelphia. And I was, I was 
in the fold, you know, from when I was like five years old. And I remember being a kid and, you know, my father going to the docks and picking up hindquarters of beef and all this other stuff to bring to the butcher shop. So I was always part of that life and I loved every second of it. And then once I became of age, which is like 10 years old, I was working uh, on the weekends at the butcher shop. And, and, you know, there was a lot of different facets to the shop. And um, there was the front of the house. You know, it's kind of like a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You had the front of the house that dealt with all of the, the, the customers that came in. Then you had the back of the house, which would be like my uncle and a lot of other guys breaking down meat and cutting hindquarters and, and you know, using the bandsaw and cutting, you know, like a porterhouses and pork chops. And, you know, I was able to do all of uh, those, both sides of, of, of the business. And, but where they put me, uh, first was really in the front of the house, so I was dealing with customers. So I, I I really learned at a young age how to how to deal with service and how to deal with people and how to take care of people and 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 I loved it and I still love that aspect of um, of this job and that's why I think I've done pretty good at it is because it's just in my blood and you know working at the butcher shop was amazing. It was really like the best experience and uh, opportunity as a kid to be a part of something like that because, you know, I was 10 years old and I was working with these guys who, you know, were in World War II and, uh, and you know, just the wisdom. And I talked to them like they were just my friends and, and they just, you know, always kind of messed with me and picked on me. But I learned so much from these guys and... Uh, it just helped, gave me a head start in life, and it, I, I would never, ever uh, change that, and it's still a part of me. What do you think is one very valuable lesson you learned at that time that you maybe still use on the floor? You know, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> keep your mouth shut, and because uh, <laughs> I was never allowed to talk, and they were, it was always like, you know, shut up. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. Just listen and keep your mouth shut. And I do that a lot still. And I, I just like to listen rather than to hear myself speak. And uh, I, I think that was a good lesson learned from those old school guys. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's like uh, a lot of times, you know, what you have in your in your heart and yourself, that you own that, right? That's that's yours. But once you say things yeah, out loud, then it's out there. Like it's every everyone could do what they want with it. Totally. And I mean, that's one of the things I love most about doing this show is that I, you know I get to meet with people like you and and uh, and and learn and ask questions and ask the questions that, I, that I've always wanted to know. Um, and this this is one question that I, that I think a lot of uh, Somalis get get asked a lot. But I, I think it's something that's interesting and, and that's telling um, is. Because it's it's not being a sommelier isn't an obvious career choice. It's not something that when you're a kid, you know, you uh, you say I want to be a sommelier when I grow up. It's, it's usually there's usually a moment that you realize, wow, this is this is my calling. I want to I want to go in this direction. Do you remember? Did you have a moment like that, or is it a built up moments on top of each other? What well, happened? you know, for me, I uh, I really fell in lo- love with wine first. That was the thing, and being a sommelier was just the only way I could taste and drink all the wines that I dreamed of drinking without paying for it, you know, and that was it. And that's why I became a sommelier, because I really wanted to drink wine, and I really wanted to taste, you know, Romani Conti and and taste Petrus and 
and old champagnes. And really the only way to do it if you're not a billionaire is to be a sommelier. And uh, I knew that, you know, that doesn't come. It's not like, okay, I'm a sommelier. I get to drink these wines. You know, you got to work your way through the trenches. And uh, that was always the reason why I did it. Because that stuff, I mean, the great wines of the world are as great as anything in life. You know, it's, it's, it's like a great, you know, musical experience or a great novel or seeing a great movie. It's like the same thing. And uh, I just want to, I want to experience that as much as possible. So that's kind of why I became a sommelier. And, you know, because I started, when I first started being interested in wine, I, you know, I, did, I, had a, I went to college and I, I had a degree in marketing. And, and as soon as I got into wine, I pretty much quit my job. I was 23. And uh, I started working in a restaurant. And that was nice. And then I learned a little, little bit more about wine. And then I got a job working for the Burgundy Wine Company. And that was where, that was the real formative time of my life in terms of learning about wine and and getting direction of where I wanted to go with it and uh, at the Burgundy Wine Company I I really got to taste a lot of great wines and Burgundy uh, before I started working there I didn't really know exactly what it meant in the world of wine in the hierarchy of great wine areas in the world I didn't know that it was considered really the greatest wine area in in all of the world and uh, just by dumb luck really I got to work at that place and I immediately fell in love with it and so much so that after being there for about a year, I was like, dude, I'm moving to Burgundy. And I moved there, and like with no money. And uh, I, I had a hookup in, in the sense that I knew a girl and her parents uh, owned a domain in Nuit San George. And uh, I just kind of like finagled my way to kind of get to stay with them for a bit of time to get my, um, my bearings. And then eventually I moved out and got my own place in Dijon, but still worked for them. And I really wanted to see Burgundy, to smell Burgundy, to, um, I mean, the place, not the wine, and to, to work a little bit. And, you know, in essence, I was just doing manual labor, like migrant labor, and, uh, <laughs> and like getting paid minimum wage and, you know, having 20 euros a week of disposable income to buy canned corn and pasta for, you know, my meals. And then, like, a real special occasion for me while I was living there and just working would be to go to a bar and have, a, like, a glass of Recar and water. That was, wow. like, that was my Friday night. And I would just have books. And I, would, I was all by myself. And I was just, like, I would read all these books and, and drink Recar on the weekends in, in bars and just kind of wander around the city of Dijon. It was uh, it was it was crazy, dude. Wow, I feel I mean I feel equally as fortunate to stumble upon the Italian wine merchants. It's right. funny how we yeah the same similar yeah. things. I, I, yeah. I walked in one day, bought the least expensive bottle of wine, and uh, <clears throat> I just loved the experience. They they treated me great. I the bottle came out of the cellars at cellar temp for like a thirteen dollar bottle of wine, and I I was about to walk out the door, turned around, I was like. I just love this place. Yeah, like, can I? It's like, so beautiful. That can place. I work for you? Can you? I'll do anything. And <laughs> that was my first. That was my first foray. And you know, as a as a college student, I was bringing Jacosa and Bartolo Mascarello like open bottles left over right. from events, but still like sucking on those little sips of that like at home. And it was like I didn't realize in the context of of all wine what those were considered, right. which, was, which was really cool. Um, but, you know, you, you describe, I, I've heard you talk about, about you know, the, 
the the places, the soils of, of Burgundy, of, of Greece, mm-hmm. which is one of your passions, mm-hmm. so so beautifully. H- how important do you think it is for Somalis to to go visit um, or to live at a place or, or to meet the winemakers? I uh, think it's vital. I think it's maybe the most important thing outside of tasting wines. You know, books can only give you so much, and books are great. You know, books really give you a lot of information and 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 know-how and, you know, just information about how the wine is made and this and that. But going there, that's where you really feel the place and you, and you get a sense of the people who live there and how their personalities come out through the wine. And, and just all the, the smells of the place and, and the way the, the soil looks. And, 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 you know, you go to a cellar and you see how the cellar is, is set up. And if it's like a super dirty cellar, you can sometimes taste that in the wine. And if it's a super clean and organized cellar, you know, you can kind of taste that in the wine too. Like when you go, if you, you go to Burgundy and you go to Rouleau uh, in Merceau and you see the way his cellar is set up, it is like clean, precise, you know, you know, not a hair out of place. And then when you taste the wines, it's the same thing. They're extremely precise wines and they're really focused and organized. And I think that kind of leads into uh, the personality of the winemaker and, and how the wine is, is, you know, is appreciated and how you taste. So I think it's important too. So you, you heard it from Michael. Go visit. Where would you go visit? Where would you tell our guests, our, our listeners, just well, quickly, the next just... Next spot. Well, you know, I I think it's cool wine regions that are also nice regions to go on vacation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me to go and visit a wine region with my wife, it's got to be a nice place. You know, I I don't want to have her be bored the whole time. So Provence is a great place to go to. Provence. All right. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. Uh, You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You're listening to Kursk by Controller on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. We're back on heritageradionetwork.org. 
Um, I just wanted to give uh, a quick shout out. If anyone is interested in helping out with Sandy Relief, um, I'm going to be joining a couple of friends out in uh, uh, the Rockaways. Rockaways is an area that was hit really hard, and I feel like they haven't gotten uh, quite enough media attention or, or help and support out there. So uh, we're setting up a food truck giving out uh, hot uh, hot lunches um, every day for the next two months. I'll be out there with the crew from the restaurants on Saturday and then every Tuesday going forward. If anyone wants to uh, come help and join and support, um, just give me a shout on, on Twitter. Um, it's at Joe Campanelli um, or an email at uh, or Joe Campanelli at gmail.com and I will give you more information. It's a, it's a great cause. They could use all the help. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's like a real Katrina situation. It's, it's really rough out there. Um, anyway, back to the fun stuff, back to Michael and uh, wine. So I'm still, I have to admit, I'm still a little sore. A couple of years ago, we did a blind wine tasting competition. Um, <laughs> and Michael beat out about seven master sommeliers and, uh, and me, of course. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, a little so- I'm a little sore about that still. So I'm going to try to stump. It was, I was lucky that day. I'm about to stump. I'm trying to try mm-hmm. my best to stump the master. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a wine here and... I think what's more interesting, uh, an interesting way for for uh, at least for our listeners to, uh, to for us to go about this is if you would kind of describe your process um, as to how you go about analyzing a wine. If you're putting this silly little game that we call sure. blind tasting, the parlor trick. Um, well, you know, Joey, I never, uh, I never, t- I've never taken a wine class in my life, and I never kind of learned the way other people. You know, if you're in like the MS program or the MW program, or you take the WSET, and there's like, a, you know, like the grid, how you taste. Like I've never done that before, and uh, so the way I taste is just kind of like with my heart and with my uh, my sense memory and my emotions, and you know, I remember what I taste, and when I taste wines, I. I, I try to like, keep that, that memories of the wine still in my mind and uh, just try to relate them as, as the smells. I say, okay, I'll smell something. I'll say, okay, that reminds me of this. But, you know, kind of like deduction in terms of my past tasting experiences. So there's no really rhyme or reason to it. I just kind of surrender to the wine and, and then just try to listen to it. So kind of deduction is in like you taste, you think about it and you're like, oh, that is clearly not yeah. Napa Valley Chardonnay. What is it right? not? What That's it always not? first. Yeah. What's it not? And then you kind of, you whittle it down and say, okay, what could it be? And then within that category, you say, okay, it's probably not that because the acid's too high. It's probably not that because it's oaky and that, and that mostly the wines from that region don't use oak. And then da, 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 da. And then you try to come up with the, the, uh, the end result, the, the answer. Wow. Yeah, All right, you know. so let's let's take a look at this one. Okay, well, like I told you before I came on, I have a bit of a cold, but that but that uh, is no excuse. But I'm going to try my best within my um, my handicaps right now. And in, and in Michael's defense, he told me he had a cold even before I mentioned that we might be doing some line <laughs> wine tasting. On, so on let's give it a shot. Uh, for those of you at home, this is a, it is a white wine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Michael right now is swirling. He has his nose in the glass. I'm going to be commenting on this. 
I'm sure he knows what it is, mm. and this is a very obscure grape. <laughs> I don't know, man. <clears throat> it's good. I like it. Uh, when I was looking at the, when you poured the glass, I saw like a little bit of um, bubbles a little bit. What does that tell you? That tells me like, okay, it's probably fermented in stainless steel. Um, and, uh, you know, it still has a little bit of trapped gas. So um, it's aromatic on the nose. At least what I can taste. Great acid, nice and crisp, real um, mineral flavors, very good. So where are you thinking, where is this definitely not from? What is, uh, what is this definitely it's not? It's definitely not California Chardonnay. <laughs> it's definitely not white burgundy. Um, because it's not California Chardonnay because it has that great acidity. It's not white burgundy because it's really aromatic. Uh, yeah, and, right. and it doesn't have that texture of white burgundy. Um you know, when I taste wine like this, it could be in a, a, a few different places. Um, the first thing that's coming to mind is south of uh, Europe in, you know, uh, maybe southern Italy, maybe southern France, maybe even, you know, the islands, uh, whether that be Greece or, um, or like Corsica or Sicily. Um, my, uh, I'm not that good today, like I said. I have a bit of a cold. Shit. I don't know. <laughs> you got it. You it's know. a little nutty, too. <laughs> nice kind of um, almondy nut. Ah, dude. I don't know, man. The only show where you, you, get, you can listen to uh, swishing and spitting I don't know. Oh. Moscafilaro. Yeah, <laughs> the, the big the big reveal. Uh Moscafilaro. Awesome, I, very good. Very very good. You know, it had that kind of um Gewurztraminer floral notes on the nose. That should have tipped me off. But uh like I said, dude, I'm uh You got to cold it. I'm not so good today, but it's very good and you know what's even funny? Uh I just bought that wine for the restaurant. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my first Greek wine experiences uh, for, like, very high-quality Greek wines, I, I remember, were probably at Bar Balou or Balou Sud. You, yeah. you were like, Joe, I'm really excited about this. It's you know, Sirtico from Santorini. I'm like, what is that? From Greece? Greece is making good wine? Like, no, seriously, listen. Listen up. This is great stuff. And uh, then I went and visited, and I was like, shit, Mike, Mike was right. Dude, I Greece, love the ones Greece there. is making incredible wines. You know, my thing there is, like... These guys have been making wine for l longer than anyone in the world. And why isn't anyone talking about them? And I just kind of went on a mission for myself. Like, I have to learn about these wines because there has to be something good out of there. And this was like five years ago. So I just really started inhaling information about Greece and buying and tasting wines. Like my first sommelier job, I was pouring all like Santorini by the glass at DB Bistro. And people were like... What the hell is this? Like I'm, and even like Danielle, 
Balud, he was like, what the hell is with you with these Greek wines? I mean, it's a French restaurant. Why are you into Greek wines? And I, I just thought, you know what? You know, they're good. Try them. And he tried them and he liked them. But he just thought I had like this kind of fetish for the wines. And, and, and at a point, I guess I did. But my instinct of ha- there has to be something good out of there was correct. And it just, you know, it just wasn't sold the right way. And people weren't really the, the right flag bearers of the wines weren't in place yet and now everyone is like wow these wines are great but you know what it's true they are and uh, i'm happy that they're getting more of a broader uh appeal towards consumers because when you want something inexpensive that is fresh and crisp and that really speaks of where it comes from man i mean you can't do much better than greece Mm -hmm. seriously the white wines, especially. Yeah, in, uh, hundreds of ancient grapes, My really God. unique terroirs. This Real one, personality. This is from. Uh, this, uh, we're drinking the Celopos Montania, 100% Moscofilaro. It's red, red soil. Which you imagine wines with red soil having just like intense minerality, and there certainly is some minerality here. But this yeah. is like a delightful floral, fruit-forward wine. Yeah, it's kind of like. Um, this is sounds stupid, but it's like a, a, the mullet of wine. Because when you smell it, it smells like a party. Like it's really, it's really aromatic and like fun and kind of loose. It's got that really great uh, like fruity nose. And on the palate, it's like all business. It's minerality. It's structure. It's it's like backbone. And uh, that it, it it has a good like dichotomy to it. Dude, dude that's that's intense. I'm, all, <laughs> I'm not definitely Greeks. And I mean it in a good way. Is there any place in the world right now that you that you have a new kind of passion interest and you wish that people knew more about and, and were drinking more of uh well you know when i um you know my my background is is steeply steeply uh deeply rooted in uh in france but when uh we opened balut sud about a year and a half ago uh you know we were doing mediterranean wines and that propelled me to really learn about wines of the mediterranean and i really fell in love with these this is why these are wines that you know probably better than I do, but the wines of Campania. And these wines, I think, are amazing. Yeah. Specifically the whites. Specifically Fiano. Oh, my it's God. Like incredible. Oh, Smoking, man. And Greco. And, you know, Greco, those wines, yeah. they age. You know, like, yeah. those for me, those are the best whites I've ever had in Italy. Greco di Tufo and Fiano. Maybe, you know, the wines of Sicily are pretty great, too. But those whites in those areas, they age so well Mm -hmm. and they're like smoky and they're really nice rich textured and they work with a lot of different dishes and they have real soul to them and personality and i like i love suggesting them with the with the food at balud sud i mean they work really really well with mediterranean flavors wow i completely agree do you have a favorite producer in that area pietra cupa pietra cupa incredible yeah bomb (laughs) <laughs> Bomb wines. I, I, I see that name. I remember when I was working for Vinifera Imports, I were oh, yeah? distributing Pietra Coupa and I had a show, Sabino, around. He's the owner of the estate. And uh, he's just like, you know, it was one of those one of those things where, like, I was a, this young kid trying to show a winemaker around the city. And it was like, a, that's your, one of your big responsibilities. Sure. The winemakers come in. You work have to with. line up. Oh, work <laughs> with. Yeah. And all these appointments lined up. And, like, we just ended up stopping at the Harrison. And he had this huge crush on the, the beverage director there. He's like, cancel all the rest of these ah, And we just, like. How Italian of him. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> drinking Campari in, at, the, at the Harrison. And I always, I always think of that. But, like, that. You know the wines are serious, but he's like this super like playful, joyful guy, and it was he 
No, those Italians, man, they are really incredible people. And I was just in Montreal a couple of weeks ago, and we were <laughs> we were with this guy. I, his Antonio, I think his name was. He's a winemaker. I can't remember where he was from, but he was. It was a, a wine tasting, and then there was a like a party afterwards. Mm-hmm. And this dude was the life of the party. He was dancing, and he was drinking champagne out of the bottle, and everybody just wanted to be around him. And he was like the prototypical, uh, amazing, soulful Italian guy. It was it was really cool. And the the you know for me the Italians uh, with food especially is just they just kill it. I mean, there's nothing like Italian food. Nothing. I'm, I'm with you. And yeah. I, it, that, lucky for me, it seems like uh, Americans have an endless appetite for Italian it's food. It's a good thing, yeah. It's a good thing. One of the things that, uh, just to switch gears a little bit, one of the things that, that I admire most and, and appreciate most about the, about the restaurants uh, that, that you work at is the way you've been able to create a team of sommeliers, a team of, of people who are genuinely excited uh, about wine, who are... Like every every bit as much of a pro as as you are, you know. You know, you go in there if if you're not around anyone else who's there. It's oh, yeah. like is just top notch. Like a lot of those people could be running their own beverage programs, sure. but choose to work for you. Like, how do you like, what, how do you do that? How do you foster that that team spirit and 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 help people move on to the next thing? Well, you know, I just I manage with love, you know. Period, and and I try to lead by example, and uh, you know, I try. I put in the most hours of the sommelier team, you know, and I'm not the kind of guy to manage from a computer and just say, you do this and you do that, and I'll be in the office and I'll be making phone calls and I'm doing that. I, that's not the way I do things, and, and I like to lead. Like, I think of it like military in the sense that, you know, you have the drill sergeant and the drill sergeant is screaming at everybody, but the drill sergeant is also running with the troops. You know, he's leading the troops, but he does the exact same stuff they do. And, and I kind of, uh, I, 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 I re- try to remind myself of that. And I want to be the one who leads by example and shows these guys, like, listen, if we're going to make this work, you can depend on me to, to take us forward and rely on me that we're going we're gonna to get it done right. And you can watch me and this is how it's going to get done. And there, there's no other way for me from what, the way I grew up, from what I know at this point right now in my life, uh, there's no other way to do it than that. Just it, work, and it you know, and it shows. I mean, anyone who's who's ever worked for you has got you know they've they've gone on to do a lot of people have gone on to do great things. And again, when you go there, like there, it, it always feels like wow, there's no weak like there's no weak link. Like everyone, all these Somalis are they're just some of the best in the city. You just have the greatest teams working with you. I'm and very proud of it, and it's awesome. Yeah, I'm very very proud of it, and it touches me that these guys want to work with me. And rather than, you know, go somewhere else or sell wine or work here or work there. And uh, I take it so seriously and I don't want to waste their time. And uh, it actually makes me work harder. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. Wow, I mean, I have so many, que- so many more questions I want to ask you, but we're, you know, we're just about out of time. Just want to make sure. Are you still doing the Magnums? Every the single God. night, brother. Dude, I'm so jealous of that. Every single night. It's, it's about three <laughs> every, and a half years now every that I've single been doing. Night. I mean, I've, I've gone up just like for a particular, because I want to taste one of the wines that Mike's pouring by. The you know, I always tell that story, Joey. The, that. One, the one I remember. I, I remember the wine, too. It was uh, 1990 Favely uh, Corton, Clos de Corton, uh, that I was pouring out of Magnum by the glass for 25 bucks. 
and I took a picture of it and I put it on Twitter. And you immediately like texted me. You're like, dude, I'm coming in for that. I need to have a glass of that. You're like, I just canceled my reservation at this other restaurant yeah. and told the cabbie to turn around and go back uptown. And then once you told me that, I was like, wow, man, this is awesome. Is this awesome. is so cool that, that you'd be doing something like that. And that's like, I think, where we bond because we love wine. And that's what it's about. It's like you're, you're a nerd. We're nerds for wine. And we'll do what we have to to get the wine, to taste the wine, to experience it, and uh, you know, to put it in our folder of experience of that. I tasted that. I remember that wine. Yeah. Wow. All right. And I, I had a lot of those experiences with you. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Please go visit Michael Magical. Please. <laughs> yes, like, you don't need anyone else out there, but, uh, but there's such great things happening at Barbaloo, Baloo Sud, and Epicerie. Thank you so much. Thank and you, Thank brother. you for listening. Joe Campanelli for HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.